Five scores! Rick Bud. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bud. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan, and joining me as usual, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Oh, we're doing all right, Mike, other than the fact that I had to put about a, a whole thing of gel in my hair to keep it flat. Well, I <laughs> see. You got the so slick long. back look today. You got the, yeah, you got the Berkey look. It looks like Berkey, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, I'm doing good. Uh Unfortunately, still not being able to golf. Like, we are the only place in the world that can't play golf, Ontario. I know. I'm assuming maybe Alberta might, they may go to that. Although I don't think they'll go to that extreme. But, I mean, can you imagine we're the only place in the world where you can't play golf right now? Yeah, they've certainly taken it to the extreme, haven't they? Boy, oh, boy. Well, Mm, yeah. Um. Anyway, we've got another terrific guest today joining us, a neighbor of sorts in your neck of the woods, uh, and I'm referring to Mr. Marcel Dion, Hall of Famer. Yes, he is, and uh, been to his diner a few times, and uh, into is where he keeps all his memorabilia and stuff. And uh, pretty, he had a pretty cool place there. And uh, I'm not sure if he's gonna. We'll have to ask him, but I, yeah. I he may reopen the restaurant. But I think he wants to get out of the, the the other part of the business, but I'm not really sure. I guess that's something we'll have to ask him. Yep. Yeah, I've been here too, but it was a pretty cool place and could buy all kinds of stuff there. But we'll get that out of him. We talked to him in a few minutes. But in the meantime, uh, well, the NHL, an ugly incident this week involving no surprise to many, Washington's Tom Wilson, when there's some tomfoolery and thuggery going on. He was given a paltry $5,000 fine as per disciplinary rules set up by the league. So it's not the league's fault. That's their rule. Uh, they lose their star player in Panarin for the season. It was a result of this, the next few games. They weren't quiet about the manner. They did, the Rangers, they issued a pretty harsh statement calling for George Perrow's head. Uh, a couple of things here. Number one, for, well, first off today, well, a couple of guys lose their job. They lose a GM. They lose the president of the organization. They get fined $250,000 today. A lot of things going on here, Squid. I would say that uh, there may have been called, put into Dolan. Now, he's not exactly the most level-headed thinking guy if you look at the way he handled his basketball <laughs> team. So on one hand, it was smart on their part to put it out with no name on it, but dumb for responding like they did in the press. And I suspect maybe Mr. Bettman made a call and said, all right, good play on your part. You put us in a predicament, fix it. I had better role. And I suspect that's the result of what we saw. But anyway, there's a couple of things here. How do they handle this? And your main, the NHL and going forward has to do something about that rule. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, the Rangers, unfortunately, for uh, the president and the general manager losing their jobs over. I'm assuming that that's what it was over because uh, it can't be about the performance of the team. They're in a rebuild and they're doing a pretty good job of it. As far as the uh, the penalty itself, as far as a $5,000 fine, you know, I know I've heard a lot of people say he should have been suspended. He's a repeat offender and all that kind of stuff. I get that. 
And perhaps maybe there should have been something, but at the end of the day, I mean, I've been in those situations where you get mm -hmm. into scrums and you got a hold of someone and someone jumps on your back. And I mean, the only thing you're thinking about is I, I got to defend myself somehow here. And, you know, he might've went through extremes a little bit, perhaps uh, Tom Wilson and perhaps deserved a game or two. But again, that, that's a, that's a tough one. That, that, that particular incident, it's not like you see a, a hit where a guy purposely goes after a guy's head with an elbow or something like that. It's not clear cut. And therefore, I think George Perils had a tough time deciding what to do with that. Well, exactly. And, you know, outside of having a good last name, Tom Wilson really isn't any one of my fans in particular. But in his defense, I will say that that play in front of the net, he hit him on the shoulder. That play happens all the time. And Panarin jumped on him and he threw him down. Like he, the only thing with Panarin, he's had no helmet on. If he'd smashed his head in the ass, that could have been very, very bad. So that was the bad part about that. But he did what any other guy would have done almost in that circumstance. Now, did he deserve to probably yeah. be suspended? Yes, because he's a repeat offender. But, you know, he's the guy and he's like a, he's like a firing stick that goes right to him. So... You know, we haven't heard the end of it. And they sure the game, the follow-up game was sure, boy, that was rock and sock him, that's for sure. <laughs> that was that was old time hockey. That there. was that old was time like hockey. 70s, 70s, 80s style there. I mean, it was right off the drop of the puck, all through all the forwards went at it. And then uh like wouldn't they have like 10 fighting majors in the first oh, four yeah. under five minutes? Yeah, it was I mean, that is that, that's incredible. And uh but I think that was something that you knew was going to happen after what happened the night before. And, uh, and with no suspension, I, I figure they said, you know, we're going to have to do something about this. Uh, not necessarily the coach probably wouldn't say anything like that, but the players themselves would talk about it, say, Hey, we can't allow this to go, uh, you know, without any retribution. So, you know, we got to go out there and do something about it. Well, they did. And the only thing missing last night, I think, was Freddie Shiro standing behind the bench looking up into the crowd while that was all going on. So speaking of the fog, which was his nickname, our Toronto Maple Leafs, you, when you're listening to this and watching it this uh, at this point, the Leafs will have three games remaining because they're playing a few hours from now and recording this. Here's a couple of questions for you, Scrid. How would you like to see them finish? Now, the reason I'm asking this is being the first place team in the city, here we are, Toronto Maple Leafs fans, we always have to complain about being successful. But they are in first place. But the death trap for any team finishing at the top is always playing a team that barely gets in the playoffs because all the reasons the top team has played a little less pressured because they're in the playoffs. The bottom team is playing for their playoff lives. Every year there's an upset or two. This year will not be any exception. There will be an upset in the first round, no question. You just don't want to be that guy. So what does Toronto have to do? And they're not stupid. They know this happens. What do they have to do in the next three games to avoid that happening two weeks from now? Well, I think the first thing they have to do is they, they have to focus on these three, these, well, four games counting uh, tonight. Yeah. Uh, but they, they got to focus on those like their playoff games. And they, they got to take them very, very seriously. I'm not really big on... The fact that there's been a lot of guys that have been out and are just going to be coming back before the playoffs or for the playoffs, they're giving some other guys opportunities to go in the lineup. They're sitting some guys out. 
I'm not sure I, I really like that plan. I think you go, you know, pedal to the metal, take these games like they're a playoff game and finish on a high. You know, there's nothing wrong with finishing with four wins in a row <laughs> to add on to the, the ones they've won recently mm-hmm. and then going into the playoffs, you know, on a run. And uh, because you know that the team that finishes fourth, that they're going to play every game they they played for the last two, two and a half, three weeks of the season were meaningful because mm-hmm. they had to get into the playoffs. Exactly. So they're going to be ready. And uh, you, you got to hope that Toronto takes these games seriously and they're prepared. Well, maybe we can use this as a, um, a bit of an incentive because on May the 8th, we'll go back in our time in history and Maple Leaf history today, May the 8th in 1994, a guy by the name of Doug Gilmore tied a team playoff record with his fourth power play goal and added four assists to lead the Leafs to an 8-3 winner over San Jose in the game four of the Western Conference semifinal. The Leafs tied a playoff record with three shorthanded goals, first day at the new tongue, with three shorthanded goals in that game. So... There is hope, folks, for the special teams. Let's have the faith and let's move forward. So now I think maybe we turn it over and hear what Marcel has to say. Squid, our guest today, played 18 seasons in the NHL after being selected second overall in a 1971 draft by the Detroit Red Wings. Would go on to become one of the most prolific goal scorers in NHL history. Centered the famous uh, Triple Crown line. Named one of the 100 greatest players of all time. Elected to the Hall of Fame in 1992. We could go on forever about this, but we only have an hour in the show. So please welcome to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Podcast, Marcel Dion. Marcel, how are we doing today? Excellent, guys. Excellent. It's a beautiful day, but no golfers out there. I just went by the golf course. <laughs> Nobody's playing golf yet. <laughs> what are you trying to rub that into Squid? He's going, he complains about it every week. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So before we get underway, Marcel, but Squid and I love the tradition of guests and nicknames. You're known as the Little Beaver. How did that all come about? I don't like to talk too much about it, but there's just uh, <laughs> Little Beaver. Little, little Beaver was a midget wrestler. Do you want me to keep on the, on talking? <laughs> so uh, that was playing junior hockey, and then uh, in those days there was some. Uh, good wrestling and it was four now you can't see uh midgets but uh there was sky low low little beaver and a couple others and then uh, one player got back on the plane we were playing the montreal junior canadians and he said that's it we got the nickname you little beaver <laughs> so what happened when i turned pro goldie howe heard that and he was fixed with that he called me i like that hey beef get over here beaver get him. You know, there was a show called Beaver, right? But the, yeah, uh, it sticks with you. Like those people now that still go back at it. I said, I know I'm short, but stop mentioning that. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely an original. Well, you had the distinction of playing not only youth hockey for your birth town of Drummondville, Quebec, but even played your first year of junior with the local junior team. Take us through all of that. When I came to uh, St. Catharines? No, but in Drummondville, that first year playing junior hockey and going to the Memorial Cup. Yeah, that, that, that was it. But the, uh, no, that was not. Uh, the first year in Drummondville, we lost against uh, Verdun. Yeah. And Verdun went on to play the uh, Niagara Falls okay. Flyers. Okay. And uh, I saw that. Then the following year, I turned 17. Uh, the St. Catharines Blackhawks uh, had a team, farm team, Sorel, Quebec. 
and uh, they investigated and looked into it. And I was very lucky that I had an uncle that was in the service and he was bilingual. Otherwise, it would have been a lot tougher. I, I only knew yes and no. But when I walk in at the, from school, my dad said, uh, there's a team from Ontario, the junior team that calls. says, can you, can you name it? And uh, I was not even close. <laughs> but there was a St. Catharines Blackhawks. So during the mm -hmm. summer, they called me up. I went to see it. And Rick, uh, Rick Vibe knows he's, uh, he's been around at St. Catharines forever. I was sold on it right away. I saw like, those pictures of some of the greatest hockey players that ever played in the NHL going through that system. And you got to remember this. It was only six teams then. Mm -hmm. So uh, Bobby Hall, Pierre Pilat, you name it. I mean, uh, Phil Esposito, uh, Freddie Stanfield. So uh, the rest is history, basically. And I think personally, as a young guy, about maturity and so on, I look back and never mind hockey, this was my biggest move, transition to learn the language and to go anywhere in the world. And I can't speak French and I can't speak English, even in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Squid. Well, uh, okay, so that takes us to, to Russia. You played in the 72 series. You didn't, well, you didn't get to play. And three people went home, and you went anyway. What was your impression of the Russians? Like, did you were you expecting them to be that good, or were you surprised? Oh, I knew they were good. I knew they were really good. And uh, there was no doubt that uh, we're talking about the series, right? 72? Mm -hmm. yes. And uh, I'm hard of hearing that a little bit. That's not fun to get old, I tell you. And I'll tell you, I look back, I was fascinated the way they practiced, the way they played, but we were overconfident, uh, Rick. We were so overconfident. We were told a few things that we were invincible. But the national team, the Canadian national team, their reports on these guys, they were good. And... Uh, I knew right off the bat, after the first game, we scored the first two goals, Rick. And they came back, and we were told by Harrison then, then that we, all of us, would all, at least play one game. I knew after the game, I walk in the dressing room right beside, beside Yvonne Conroy, still has his gear on, and he said, those guys are so strong. <laughs> I knew, I knew then we were in for a tough, tough series. Now, Marcel, I want to go back to uh, your junior back in St. Catharines. Um, you, you had, you had some really good times there. You, you lit it up winning a couple scoring titles. Uh, it must've been a couple of things. It must've been tough to leave your hometown. Number one, which you've already discussed. But number two, you were involved in one of the most ugly, violent, whatever word you want to use, uh, events in the playoffs against Quebec Ramparts, nonetheless, that eventually ended up to a series being canceled. And take us through that whole crazy series with St. Catharines in Quebec in 71. Well, I'll try to be as, as short as I can be. Basically, the coach of the Ramparts, was his name was Maurice Fillion. 
was my coach. When I left, I played junior, junior in Drummondville, junior eight, and he was my coach. So this is 50 years ago that when this thing happened. At the time, the Ramparts won, Guy Lafleur was the guy, and I was sort of the guy in St. Catharines. There was some political issues in Quebec. It was called the FLQ. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it was English against French. Uh, we had another player on our team, Pierre Guité, real tough. It was my left pointer, real tough. And uh, it was not a dirty player, but you want to go. He was a very good fighter. And then the fact that we're the only two French Canadians, I mean, that create an incredible uh, uh, issue because we could hear what people were saying in French. But our guys, our team didn't know. So the first game, the first game we played at St. Catharines, uh, 4,000 people, we lost the first game. And myself or Guy Lafleur were not, were not you know, the, the reason of that, that game. The guy that outplayed everybody was the late Jacques Richard. Wow, what a beautiful junior player. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so we won the second one. We just had a blowout. But now we had to go back to Quebec. And uh, the team, the parents, the booster club were not ready for that. It was, it was very, very difficult. They were throwing things out there. They were throwing things at the booster club and so on. And there was one difference. Uh, Quebec went and picked up a goalie. You had, you had the right to get an extra goaltender. Mm-hmm. And he picked up Mario de Guise. And this guy was just outstanding. We, we watched out them and played really well. But they had a good team, too. And so we lost those two games. And before leaving, leaving the ice, listen to this. One of our players, because the people were throwing all kinds of garbage and all that stuff, I was right behind him, accidentally hit a cop right in the face and caught him wide open. Oof. Now, today, you'd be thrown in jail right away. Then I could hear all the policemen saying, hey, these guys, they're on their own. So we got on a the bus. They were, they were rocking the bus and so on. Like, if you had this today, a lot of people would end up in jail, right? So now we went back home. So we're down 3-1, and there's such a demand for tickets. So this says, okay, we're, we're going to play at Maple Leaf Garden. They sold out within 10 minutes. And we beat, we beat the, the Ramparts. That was a pretty good game, and uh, we played well, and we were coming along. For the next game, now, we had to go back to Quebec, and uh, our management, through the parents and through a vote of the players, decided that they wouldn't want to go to Quebec. But they tried to pick a neutral place like Montreal. Well, I was not stupid. Are you think if I play for Quebec, I'm going to, you know, you work all your life to get to the, to the Memorial Cup and you got to play in Montreal. So we didn't finish. He talked about an asterisk yeah. beside my name. Yeah. And I'm telling you, from that point on, for me, basically in my career, it's been, it was backward. It was backward. And, uh, there was only two guys that wanted to go. It was me and, Je- and Pierre Guite. We're French-Canadian. We have relatives. We got friends. So it was a very, very difficult uh, situation. Uh, it was a lot of fights. Nobody got hurt. But uh, when the player hit the, the cops, I knew it was over. 
Now, leading into the draft after that, you're taken behind the guy you just mentioned, Guy Lafleur. You go second. What kind of chatter were you hearing throughout the year? But the draft is fairly new then. What were you hearing about where you might end up? Detroit, obviously, is the team who drafted you. But were you hearing any talk at all? <laughs> Let me tell you. There was no hugging, no kissing. There was no parents. There was not what you <laughs> see today. The girlfriends, you know, the guy's got $1,000 suits on. They look beautiful, but can they play? Can they play? <laughs> so uh, Detroit called, called uh, the owner and the manager, uh, my coach, and he says, well, we got to go to Detroit, to uh, Montreal at the Bonaventure uh, Hotel. And I said, uh, well, do I have to go? <laughs> I have to go? I was not concerned at all, at all, first, second, fifth, tenth. I, I, I was just focusing on me and getting an opportunity to play in the NHL. And there was one guy, one guy that I judged my play on, and it was Gilbert Perot. From the time we were nine years old, eight and nine years old, we played against each other all those years. And so is Guy Lafleur. But Guy lived in Thurso, mm -hmm. Thurso, Quebec. And uh, when they came down to number one, number two, they said to the NHL, oh, Montreal's got first pick. Uh, Sammy Pollock was the manager. And he went like this, right off the bat. He goes, time out. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew, and I knew that means... We take Dion or Lafleur, but I, I I knew Guy played in uh, in Quebec, had a great career, and for me for Detroit it was it was absolutely anything. But prior to the summer that I went to uh, St. Catharines, a lot of people don't know that I went to Thurstow with the manager, with my my mom and dad to meet Mr. Guy Lafleur and Mrs. Lafleur and Guy. I tried to lure him. I said, you come with me to St. Catharines. Let's go. <laughs> oh, geez. But he felt good in Quebec. And I think they were giving him about $10,000 a year under the table. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Those two, he had his way, but there's no doubt Gilbert Perot is the most spectacular player I've seen play in junior hockey. And when I followed up, when he was with the Sabres, number one pick, uh, I watched him and I, I knew I could do it. But not too many people believe I could have a, a career like I did, except a few people. And I know who they are. <laughs> Rick, anything to add to that? Pardon? Uh, it's great. Well, well, I mean, you were amongst a lot of really good players, obviously, for all. The only thing I'll say about Gilbert Perot is he was amazing to watch. I mean, he was so talented. I do believe that he could have been a 50-goal scorer every year, you know, close to 100 points. I think – and I was told by a couple of guys that played with him back in the Buffalo days that he really didn't want the pressure of having to do that every single year. So he kept it around 35 goals – you know, 80 points, that sort of thing, so that there wasn't all that pressure to, to do that on a regular basis. Rick, you are right on. Absolutely right on. 
first uh, Team Canada, and well, I, he was with me. And we're together in 1972, but we're in '76, and we're roommates, and we're talking. And I, I just love the guy. He's, you know how he is. He's a good, good oh, human yeah. being. I know his family. I, he still was taking care of his dad, and go home and see him every day. And we got talking, and he says, "I uh, said, geez, you know, things are pretty good, Gilbert." I said. You should score more goals, I've said. And he says to me, he says, I wish I could score goals like you. Then I look at him. I said, okay, I wish I could stick candle like you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard to believe the ability he had. But you know what? I don't think he wanted to do it. He was the yeah. difference when he went to the finals against the Flyers that I know he was. And Jimmy Schoenfeld, I know, you know how Jimmy was competitive and so on. He would get mad at, at, at Gilbert knowing that all this talent. And he says, you want to do it. You know what? It, it, it was not this way. It's, it's I, to be competitive every day, every game. For him, it didn't bother him. He just played, loved the game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you're right. He's the guy that should have scored six times 50 goals and 700 wow. points and one Stanley Cup at least when he, they, they were right there. They were right there. They were big, strong, tough. They had everything and, yeah. and uh, that slip away, you know? And they had a great line, a good combination. The French connection. Yeah. But the triple crown, the triple crown had the edge. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember Squid Danny Garrett told us that. He went up to Jill and asked him for some advice. We had Danny on the show, and he said he asked him for some advice to learn how to score. And he goes, but there's no secret. And he said, no, but you could score a lot more if you wanted, couldn't he? He goes, eh, you know what? If he score 40, they want 50. If he score 50, they want 60. So you know what? I just do what I do. There's nothing to teach you. I, my, Danny Garrett just turned around and walked away. This is the same thing that happened <laughs> with me in Los Angeles with Butch Goring. I love Butch. And I go like this. When I got there my first year, I was pushing him. I was pushing. I said, you're a 40-goal scorer. Come on. I, I got 50. You can't do it. Exactly. I said, no. If I get more than 30, they're going to ask for 40. I'm going, how can that be? <laughs> and he ended up going, ended up going to uh, the Islanders to win four cups. Yeah. And he's played, and he got the, uh, the Conn Smythe Trophy Smythe. one year, and four cups, and he got that. And listen to me, cannot get in the Hockey Hall of Fame? I don't know. I don't know. You look at the stats, and uh, he was a fun guy, loved the game. He was not a physical guy. We couldn't protect him in L.A., but when he got with the guys in the Islanders, Nystrom and like Clark Gillis and Gary Howitt. Now he played a different game too. <laughs> well, now take us through when you arrived in Detroit for your first camp. Who looked at, for a couple of things, Marcel? The biggest adjustment between junior to pro did you find? Did anybody take you under their wing and look after you? And how was the whole experience going from going into the NHL like that? Well, this is a thing again. It took me a long time, long time to understand. And I still 
when I watched the draft and all these young players, Detroit was struggling. I didn't understand management. It was Ned Harkness. And I, I was not in that political world. I just wanted to play. I'm going in the corner and I'm with Alex, Alex Del Vecchio. Alex Del Vecchio has already yep. 20 years in the NHL, silver gray hair. I'm overwhelmed. I'm looking at my, at my dad. I'm playing with my dad. How does that work? <laughs> so where I was disappointed, and Rick will understand that when you have very good veterans, we had the Red Burns and Gay Bergman, the Alex, and the turmoil was so bad. They traded most of the guys a year before that within two months, I didn't understand that. How can I be the best player? I didn't, and my ice time was limited, but I would do things that most of the players couldn't do. And I took some years. I had Nick Lippett, for example, and these guys I'm naming, Bill, Billy Collins. They were not goal scorers, and suddenly they became goal scorers. <laughs> and uh, it's a lot more fun to score once in a while than not score at all. But I'm telling you, and I can't prove my point, that has, it still goes on in the NHL. I'll tell you one guy right now, Jonathan Drouin, okay? When he went and tried to, Rick might understand too, like when he went to Tampa Bay and with the Steve Eiserman, Steve is a first-class guy, first-class. And, uh, and I'm watching this, and this kid is fast, he's got everything, and suddenly they realize he's not ready. Well, it could have happened to me in Detroit too. You know what I mean? Things are happening fast. Like you said, what's the difference? It's not the game. It's understanding it's a business. Mm -hmm. And you got to think about it real quick. You play more games, you travel, all that stuff. You eat differently. So they asked him to go down in the minors, right? Now his agent jumped in. He says, no. He didn't want to go. From that point, when I saw that, I said, now he's going backward. That means if he's not a character player, he's going to have to justify that. Every game, every season is going to be a challenge. Look where he's at today. Yeah. Then he signed a $34 million contract with Montreal. And uh, nobody has anything personal about him. A sports writer, Mark, Mark Dufoy from Montreal, just got talking and I said, we got talking about him a little bit. He said, couple of weeks prior to what happened to him, he says he was not there. He was absolutely not there. The spark was gone. And you said the rest, they said, well, we have to let him go. He ain't coming back, that guy. He will not, he's not coming back to be a high level. He's is right now in his prime time. This is 26, 27, 28. And, uh, it is so sad, so sad. It's probably a likable kid, but it doesn't help the Montreal Canadiens. Mickey Redmond, how much influence did he have on your career, Marcel? Mickey, Mickey Redmond was a pure goal scorer. So is Danny Grant. But I didn't play with Mickey. as He was not my winger, it, which, which it was good. Because now we had two good lines with Danny Grant. But it, the wrist shot was phenomenal. And it's again, he won the Stanley Cup in Montreal, but 
there was a lot of stars there. Then he comes with us, and then he, while he was there prior to I get there, and I like the way he played. I mean, he's he was a goal scorer. The rest, I don't know. He likes to play the guitar and sing, too. <laughs> so, uh, but he, he, had a bad injury. he had a bad injury, and 250 goals a season, had to have back surgery, and never came back, and that was it. But you know what, Mike? You. It might be Rick. It might be a good thing, because he went into broadcasting. Yeah, he's yeah. been there forever. <laughs> I said, I said, I didn't know you were like that. I just said you work on your English, your, your, your the words and everything. But we're still friends, right? Because I played with his brother Dick, and uh, Mickey is a special guy. But you're right. He was uh, he was a pure goal scorer. It's hard to believe. Like people don't know what that means. You don't miss. It's great. Marcel, talking about, you, I'd like to go back to what you're talking about with Drew and Do you think that perhaps 18 years old being drafted and players coming in at 18, do you think maybe that they should go back to 20-year-old so that the, the players are a little bit more mature physically, mentally, when they do get drafted, more, I think, adapted to maybe handling the pressure? You know what? I totally agree with you. Matter of fact, uh, I played, like you said, 20. Uh, Ovechkin would still be chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> Give me two more years, right? Give me 40 goals. Give me another uh, 60 points to see us out of 20. Still chase me. But you know what? 19-year-old, or by the time we turn 20, you're the guy. If you get a player that's 16 years old, think of it, Rick, and you got your top, your top two, three guys are 19. Wow, this is amazing. Now you have experience, you get older guys. Now they are eight, 16, and the player is 18 and he's gone. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I think it, it's not for everybody. It's some learn a lot quicker and some don't. For me, I enjoy playing the game. But once I knew about the money, all of that stuff, because I saw what happened to Gordy Howell, Rick, we all know the story. Well, for me, I witnessed it. And I said to myself, who am I? Am I going to play 20 years like Gordy Howell? Gordy played 26 years, never made any money. Never made mm -hmm. any money. You, there's a time you turn around and people forget that about athletes prior to me. We got to make some money. And I learned from all those great players. One thing they had, they had the passion of the game. And well, I think, Rick, we lost, we lose more great young players to be prepared to play in the NHL. Why does it have to come down to one player right now? Think about it, McDavid, right? Every 10 years, hey, Sidney Crosby. But why, like right now, he's smoking the whole league. There's nobody around him that can become close. And he's that young. He came in. How come we can't produce any more than that? I think that's why they got lost. 
Can can you imagine wow. I give you 30 million? I give you 30 million dollars. I don't care about money. I swear to God. But I gave you 30 million dollars. And you remember when a coach got mad at you, yeah, I'm gonna send you in the minors, I'm gonna do this. And the back of your head said, right, go ahead. You still got a baby <laughs> <five> million. <laughs> but in a days prior to that, Mike, when you when the coaches or managers put that fear in you, you were done. Mm-hmm. You were done. Just think about it right now. It's so funny. I'm glad I'm talking to you guys today. You got me on a high note. The guy said to me, he says, well, what do you think about hockey? He says, I'm tired to watch the same teams play against each other over <laughs> and over. And I said, well, I guess you were not around when there was only six teams. <laughs> yeah. That's what they did. They played seven games. <laughs> And I said, if, if, you, if Montreal played Boston on Saturday and they had a brawl, well, on Sunday, they went to Boston, they had a brawl, <laughs> and they went back on the train. <laughs> it's, well, crazy. Now, hey, it's crazy. Now, Marcel, let me stop you right there. D- d- six teams. So after four years in Detroit, the team's not getting any better. You're getting better every year, so it's got to be frustrating. And all of a sudden, in 1975, you move to – as far away from Detroit as you can possibly move. Take us through all that. And by the way, I think it was the contract you signed at the time was the biggest one in hockey. Yes, it was. Very quick. I got to tell you this, compare with Guy Lafleur. He's a very, very good friend of me. He's having some tough time right now health-wise, but here's what happened. I turned pro. I signed a one-year deal. Guy signed a three-year deal. And they all said, well, I, I guess I broke the, the record for most points by a rookie. But I didn't play much at, at start. You know, I was not playing. And so he was in the same thing. Now I went on, Mike, to sign a three-year deal. Three-year deal. That brings me to free agency. And Guy had a three-year signed a 10-year deal at $100,000 a year. This is true story. So I'm going to LA at 300000 US. But at the time, the WHA was already in play, 1972. Mm-hmm. I was drafted by uh, Ottawa. I look back, if the WHA, WHA would never came along and Bobby Hall and Cheevers and Sanderson would not have gone there, I would have never made that money. The only way I could stay in the NHL, Detroit, we did some negotiating, but then it hit the snag. And I'm going, um, they, they gave me an opening to say, well, won't you check? Does anybody want you? Well, we did check. So Jack came to <laughs> for 200000 a year. Then Edmonton, we called me, I went to Edmonton. And we had a press conference, and the contract was offered. It was the same thing, five, five years plus option, $250,000 Canadian. One of the best, biggest contract ever. There was not that many people that were making that. No baseball players. I'm not kidding you. It's a true story. But when I went to Edmonton, I knew if, if Detroit doesn't trade me, I'm going to Edmonton. What about the great one. 
if I go to Edmonton, think you would have had a chance to go there, Rick? <laughs> so there's a thing. So, so I end up going there, and uh, for Bob Pulford, I enjoyed those palm trees and those beaches for a while. But I'll tell you something, Mike, that you guys probably don't know. My worst critics were some players. They couldn't believe about that money. And it's a shame. Harry Sinden was, I got, I had the write-ups, said it was a joke to pay that kind of money. And I like Harry. He never paid report the proper way he should have made when he paid in Boston. No. You know? So now they give you whatever you want. But in those days, it was structured. It was very, very difficult. But I produced for what I got paid. There was no if, but what. We lost, I score. We win, I score. I came to play. I just love to play. And uh, those were very difficult times, guys. Very difficult times. And uh, for, for, for a lot of players, some guys made the most money once they left the NHL to go to the World Hockey Association. And I don't, I don't blame how much athletes make today. I couldn't care less. As long as you can play, as long as you can produce, you come, you help your teammates. That's what we want. We are fans. Make us enjoy it. That's why when you watch McDavid and even Sydney now, he's just on his way. His game is changing. But when this guy, when this guy plays, what is he going to do? You never know what he's going to do. He is a mm -hmm. spectacular, spectacular hockey player. It's unbelievable. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that, Marcel, because I had a guy who, a uh, former player who's older than I am. I won't say who it was. And he was very bitter at what the players make today. And he said to me, he said, how can they play that, pay that goddamn McDavid $12.5 million? And I said, well, I said, let me tell you how that happens. First of all, two-thirds of the league probably have six to 8,000 empty seats most nights. But when him or Crosby or Ovechkin or Matthews or whoever come in, they sell those seats. And then not to mention how many of his sweaters do they sell with McDavid on the back. So I said, the revenues are coming in. He's generating revenues for the league and for the Oilers. So... He deserves that kind of money, not to mention that he's the best player in the league uh, on top of that. So why wouldn't he get $12.5 million? I said, I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. I think he's earning it. And not only that, it's still only five years. You, you perform, mm -hmm. your career is only five years. So you're 18, you get drafted, at 23, you're done. So it's the same thing, Rick. Better take care of your money. You better put it away because it's hard to make and easy to, to lose it. So, but you see the guys that play with passion. I, I, those, guys have, those guys have passion but don't have the ability. I will never criticize those guys. But it's when something, and you play with guys like that, Rick, that you see, mm -hmm. how can he be so good and practice and when the game starts, he never touched the puck. <laughs> that has happened a lot. We all had those guys. And they're good guys. Yeah. They didn't want to play. I said, no kidding. 
And that's why when you have a beer later on in life, there's things in my life I should have tried harder. Oh, thanks a lot. (laughs) Now, Marcel, you go out to L.A., and the team is less than 10 years, years, obviously, in the league, so it's fairly new. But you go from an original six. I mean, you come from a hockey hotbed in Quebec, St. Catharines, Detroit. You move to California. How was that whole adjustment for you playing, going to the rink in shorts, basically? You know what? Again, there was so much criticizing about you could never win in Southern California, right? The palm trees, the beaches, the beautiful girls. If you're single, if you're, if you're married, you just got to look, right? Uh, it was, it was just, just Palm Springs. Everything you can't think of. And my wife, just she was the queen there. She said she was going to live there forever. But let me tell you, you make a commitment. I said this all along. doesn't matter if you send me to China. You perform. And that's what happened. And then the management, uh, Jack Kent Cook was too involved. They made some trades like you say, are you kidding me? They, they, they went, and this is a true story. We got a, a six, six pick, and uh, the manager called me and says, uh, what do you think for a goalie? What do you think for a goalie? I said to I said, George McGuire. I said, George, I had a good relationship with those people, you know? I said, George, please, please, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with our goalies. If it doesn't, you can always get one. Do not trade your first round pick. Well, guess what? They did. Do you know who was the round pick? And he knows. And every time he sees me, he reminds me. Ray Bork. And Raymond, Rick, I'll tell you a little thing. So the Legends game, right? So we, we're back uh, on the East Coast and we're playing and I got a chef with them. He's retired by then. And he makes a pass across the blue line. He gives me a pass. I got it, and boom, it was in the net, right? That was an NHL pass. So now I go back to the bench. Are you kidding me? I go back to the bench. I sit there. He's at the end. I see him coming back and sit with me. Sit with me. And he says, how many of those would you get more with me playing with you in L.A.? <laughs> he said, don't say that. And you know what? I never had, I had Larry Murphy. I had, Rick, you know what I'm talking about. Having a guy like that, I said to him, I said, I want to score a thousand goals. Because the way he, he, moved, he moved the puck, suck a couple guys in, I sneak in, no, to go boom. I had a quick shot, right? Not a hard shot like yours. But this is how we think guys don't know. He knew, and he went on to be one of the greatest players mm-hmm. and to win the cup. 21st uh, season, I was really happy. Because I called him once in a while. Eh? I got his phone number. You can't give his phone number. So the first time, Mike, listen to this. The first time I called him, there was uh, an answering machine because we played golf uh, back in my hometown in Joanville, and he gave me his personal, personal uh, line. So I left a message. I said, uh, well, just let you know there's a guy that wants to talk to you and likes to do a big signing, lots of money, in Quebec City. So in the Pee Wee tournament, right? I was going there, too. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I hang up the phone. He calls me right back. 
He said, yeah, Ray Smart, what's going on? I said, when you hear money, you call awful bad. <laughs> so, uh, a wonderful well, day. I got to play. I got to play against him and Junior Marcel. And I got to tell you, he was 16 years old at the time, uh, playing in Sorrel, actually, because I think that was his hometown. And he was able to play at 16. He was unbelievable. And uh, I, I said, you know, people talked to me and I said, this guy's going to be a star in the National Hockey League. Guaranteed. And uh, people wouldn't listen to me. You know, it's like Mike Bossy when he went to the Islanders. People were going, how can they draft a guy from the, a French guy from the Quebec League who scores goals and in a league where, you know, and I said, hey, trust me. I said, if he stays healthy and he's probably going to play with Trotsky, I said, he'll get 50 goals or more in his rookie season. You mark my words. Sure enough, 53 went on and scored. 59 years straight, and then his last year with the bad back, he ended up with, what, 39, I think? And uh, so, I mean, you know, I played against these guys. I, I know what they're capable of doing. You know, they, again, Mike, I just said, uh, people ask me how, how I could play today in the game. Well, it doesn't go like that. It's not the same thing. There's one thing I know for me. I never realized my dad was a big man, 6'1", 6'2", 240 solid. I have never, never thought about my size being an issue, five foot seven and a half. And I think I'm five, five right now. As you get older, you shrink, right? <laughs> so, and I'm fat too, I'm fat now. So here's what happened. Now, I got time, right? I got thousands and thousands of photos. My mother kept all the clippings and my mother-in-law and fans. I cannot believe I played that game at a high level like that. So when I watch them play, their style of play, they say, how would you do? Well, 90% of my goals were scored within five feet. My son, I've watched a lot of clippings, said, Dad, and you score from 40 feet out. I said, why would I score? Shoot hard. Shoot hard, Mr. Nat. Shoot hard. It's too high. So you get a lot closer. And uh, the way the defensemen are blocking shots, the way they get in front, and the goalies don't bother you. Are you kidding me? I watched this young Gallagher in Montreal. I like to spend time with him. I saw him play junior hockey. In Vancouver, he goes out there and he puts himself in front of the guys at six two, six three, gets cross check on the net, and he gets slashed. That's the game he knows. But I, I look at him and says, "Why don't you go in front and roll off? Just let him know you're there and disappear. Let the, let the guys at at the point moving the puck, right?" I feel so bad for a player like that. And you, I remember uh, Patriotti, right? I said, "Say, there's six four, six three. He didn't like to go there too often. He liked to be on the sideline. <laughs> so Chris Grattan for Buffalo. I saw him. I see 6'4". I said, Chris, you can't score from there. You got to go in front. Yeah. It's like Pierre Larouche. He said, they don't pay me to back check. So I, I don't care. But, uh, it's, it's, I think, no red line. If, if they would institute, go back just for a few games with the red line on, a lot of guys will be shocked. 
how the ice mm -hmm. are shrinking the neutral zone. It's all speed. It's all heads up. We didn't have that. So good skaters uh, really take advantage. And now even the average guy that was on the third line, now those guys faster than anybody else. So they come like, boom, they're zooming and there's a lot of finesse. They're good at a lot of things. But how come when you go to the all-star game and they do all those tricks, right? They're shot here, the puck here. And then the season, you go back and say, how come they don't, they want to score 25 goals? They should go to 80 goals. <laughs> <laughs> so hockey is not, hockey is not basketball. It's a stick. It's a puck. And you have to wear, to be aware of your surroundings. So did you guys watch the Rangers last night? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, Rick, that was, uh, that was the old days of the Flyers. Let's get over it with. Let's have all the fights and let's play hockey. <laughs> well, now, Marcel, I want to ask you something. You're going along, you're producing in L.A., going very well. And then these two kids came along by the name of Charlie Simmer and Dave Taylor. And you get hooked up with these guys, and somehow there's a little chemistry there, and you guys uh, form one of the best lines ever in the NHL. How did that all yeah. come about? And talk about it, that. It's, uh, and I'm going to add okay, with uh, when we got Jimmy Carson and Luke Robitaille, and you'll yes. see what the story is. So I got there, and I, the trainer comes in, he says, He's this kid. He says, uh, That was Dave Taylor. We're practicing. This kid, look at him. He's skinny guy, tall guy, and he's, Hitting everybody out there. I didn't know who he was, you know. Went to Clarkson uh, University, University. So it just happened. We start the season, and boy, he was he was he was there. He was there. Like not necessarily a goal scorer, but a playmaker. He played, comes to play, nice guy, and so on. So we got there. Training camp starts. I've got uh, Murray Wilson. We traded for Murray Wilson, and uh, but Murray Murray. Uh, got hurt, and it wouldn't happen. Then we traded for Danny Grant. He was my winger in Detroit and came in and did very well first few games, and he got hurt also. Then Charlie Simmer was from Cleveland in uh, Oakland, and uh, tall guy, good-looking guy, but I knew who he was, you know, just didn't play that many games against him. So he replaced Danny Grant in Detroit. Here's what happened. Rogi Vashon was traded and played for Detroit. I scored four goals on Rogi. Four goals. It was just, how can you do this? I says, well, we didn't have uh, goalie instructors in our days. So I was the goalie instructor with Rogi. One here, score. One over there, score. We threw the legs, score. So Rogi, I said, I knew his weakness. What are you talking about? In that game, Charlie had a couple assists. Dave had two. And that was the triple crown was born. But watch this, mate. Jimmy Carson, first round pick. This is the first time in the NHL I finally saw some good young players. Luke Robitaille and uh, Steve Duchesne. I look at them. I said, that's the way it was. Young and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but they come to play, they were there. So Jimmy Carson, I found him a house where we live. It was like, wow, some pretty nice places. And Luke Robitaille, I said, you got to stay with me for a couple of months. I wanted them, and Steve Shane, I found him a spot. I said, you guys got to come out of that gate. You got to come out of that gate. You can't fall behind. You got to learn the game. It's pretty tough here. 
and says, you know, you, they talk a little bit about the game, but not as much as they should where you guys came from. So we start the season and everything. Everything is going fine. So Jimmy uh, comes in one day. He would come for the pregame meal at, at the house. So uh, he, look, he's not happy. It's what's going on. He says, well, he says, I don't have any wires. I said, what do you mean you don't have any wires? So I have Luke Robitaille and uh, Dave Taylor. So I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't have any wires. Then I jumped on him. I said, Jimmy, you were our number one pick. You were drafted for Warren Reason as center. You're a superstar. That's what they told me. You played in Verdun, Quebec. I said, now, you have to make the wingers better. They ain't going to make you better. You're already better. <laughs> he was so bad. I the guy said, okay, but then we'll, we'll make a deal. I said, <laughs> Dave was laughing. I said, you take Dave Taylor, and I'll keep local every time. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy went on to score 50 goals. I mean, it, it's incredible. But again, between Jimmy and Luke, Luke had more passion about the game. Jimmy was already a businessman. He's been very, very successful. Good guy. But he didn't have the passion that Luke had. And the trade for Wayne Gretzky and Edmonton was totally, totally unfair for him because he took an, a, a verbal abuse with that. And he's a nice, nice human being. So I had three young guys that I enjoyed. It was so much fun to play with them. But management was here, management was there, and then I left. So talk about New York. How did that all so come that, about? In New York, how did you end up in New York? Uh, I could see that there was something wrong. Pat Quinn got suspended uh, because he had already signed a deal with Vancouver. I, I was devastated. Honest to God, I love Pat. It took me a while to get over we talk about it. I could not believe he was leaving. But he was promised that job. Eh? He was promised that job uh, as a general manager. And we went to play overseas in the world championship. And that's when uh, Jerry Buss signed uh, Rogi as a uh, manager. So he, it get to a point now, I had to realize where do I fit in? Uh, I, Mike Murphy took over the team and I asked Swoogie, I said, listen, we asked to, I wanted to know what the contract, what do you guys want to do? Let's talk about it now. It's not going to make any difference. Less money, more money. It was like, what do you want from me? We've got some good young players. I don't need to be the guy. I've been the guy forever. It doesn't bother me if I play five minutes because I know I'm going to score one at least or just <laughs> to be around those young guys, protect them, making them better players, understand better. So I just said nonchalant, I said, well, if you don't think I fit in, I says, well, just treat me. So they, uh, I kind of walked away, went on Monday. I went to the barbershop, but before I left, I told the trainer, says, uh, just let me know, because it was at 12 o'clock, eh? that thing says, so uh, if there's anything, it's just why he said, Marcel, don't go too far. There's a big trade coming. Then I told him, I says, it's me. When he said that, I said, it's me. <laughs> Went to the barbershop, get a phone call, get back to the office. Uh, 
He just been traded. Phil Esposito came and got you. That at that point, I knew my career was over. It didn't matter. I uh, I still have maybe a couple years to really because it gets old after a while. You know, like how many times do you want to take a shower? How many times do you want to bus off the bus on the plane? You don't sleep. You don't get a, we. We hardly practiced. We didn't have great facilities. You should see the facilities they have, Mike. And when I went there, true story, I had five coaches during that year. When I went to New York, I had Tom Webster, Phil Esposito. Then I had uh, Wayne Cashman. And uh, Went to training camp, they got Michelle Bergeron. So you take a year with Mike Murphy, had five coaches in one year. How can you perform? But I'll tell you this one now. When I got there with the schedule they had, the traveling and so on, and the teams I played for in Los Angeles, there is no doubt in my mind we would have put up more W's. A road trip for the guys. Listen to this. Oh, we got a big road trip. Where are we going? We're going to Hartford, come back. We go to uh, uh, New York Islanders, we come back. We go to the Whalers, we come back. And uh, we're just going to we're gonna drive to uh, Philly, jump down the road, and we might have to work to fly to Washington. You were home. I've been on the road sometimes 21 days. You get home. I watch guys, you become those movies, the zombies, right? Guys are lost. You are injured. You have an injury, Mike, on the road. Yeah. You, you're doomed. We didn't have all it is was ice and hot packs. You had to rehab yourself. It's crazy. <laughs> I look back and said, but it was worse in the original six. But New York was exciting. Different people. Listen to this. <laughs> that you play for the Yankees, the Mets, the Jets, or the Giants. When you're good, they love you. But if you're not that good, they hate you. There's no in <laughs> between. <laughs> Squid, what do you got for Marcel? The what? Well, Squid. It, I, I got to agree with uh, Marcel about the, the one thing I took away from everything you, you talked about already is that is a passion part. And you you can you when you play with guys, you know who the guys are that have the passion and want to play the game, and guys that are some guys that are really good players, but they don't have that passion. So they don't achieve the greatness that they probably could have had they had the passion because they're that good. And, uh, you know, you mentioned like a guy like Carson and Robitaille was the complete opposite. Well, he's in the Hall of Fame. And there's a reason for that because he had the passion to play the game. Yeah, he had the work ethics. You know, like he, when he first came up, he wanted to know. He wanted to learn. That was the first time in a long time. Because you got to remember this. Because you're the so-called the best player, the superstars, guys that come in and line up, they get intimidated. Eh? They mm-hmm. get. They used to set up the young guys when they go to Redondo Beach. There was a there was a church that like you could see like on a hill in Palos Verdes, like where uh, Tiger Woods got hurt. And they would set up all these young players coming in and says, hey, you guys want to see a house? says, Look at Marcel Dion's house back there. It was like a castle. <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine the guy's being intimidated just like that? It was crazy, crazy. But one thing, Rick, one thing, 
I had from the start. It didn't matter if you played one game. It didn't matter if you played 20 years. I just had to respect. And that's what I say. When I see past players and I go back, I Google, I like to do this. I get prepared and see that. I said, geez, you were a pretty good player. You watch, and the first thing you say, well, we're not as good as you. I said, nobody's as good as me. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and I said, uh, you know what? And that's, you've got to, Mike, you've got to have those players. Yeah, if everybody, absolutely. if you get a lineup of 20 guys are good, there was no, no way. A quick note from the audience there. Ralph Backstrom just passed away, okay? I saw him play, original six. Mm-hmm. Here's what Scotty Bowman said to me. He says, Marcel, Ralph Backstrom with Montreal was an incredible player. He was a goal scorer. This is a true story, I'm telling you, just this year. And because he was my assistant coach, and I love this guy, good-looking guy. And uh, I said, no kidding. He said, when he went to Montreal, here's what happened. He was a center, but Belleville was ahead of him. Henry Richard was ahead of him. Sure. So they made out of him, think, think about it, they made him a checker. Yeah. And if you watch some of the games he played, he was a skillful player. And, he's, and, and yeah. Scotty, there's no better than Scotty to tell you. He made me feel so good and so proud to have, have him as a, an assistant coach. And then he went on to college and Denver and just whatever yeah, it is, had to be successful. So sometimes when you go back playing junior hockey, you see how come you were that good? Well, now you move up and now you're in a position that they're taking the ability away from you and they want you to be somebody else. And trust me, guys, not too many people will fool me. I see it over and over. And uh, it is. For example, when Charlie Simmer got hurt, now you got to be replaced in the first line. And usually they move the, the guy on the third line, right? So you should see in the morning, Charlie Simmer, you got the name, all that stuff. But the player that's playing with me could have been Gene Carr, for example. He walks in and suddenly he sees his name on the board with Dion and Taylor. You want to see a guy's team morning team preparation? That's a different story. Yep. That's, there's no fooling around. You watch him come. Unbelievable. That guy did well. He did well with me. But now Charlie comes back. Now they're removing back to the third line. Now he goes back to his old habits. Do you know why? It's very simple. It's a stick and it's a puck. And you play with Marcel Leon, you're going to touch that puck a lot. And that means you can't score goals. Now you elevate your, your spirit. You're on the big line. You ignored everybody else on the team that used to tease you. But this is a fact. This is the reality, and there's one player right now. What happened to Taylor Hall? Mm-hmm. What happened to Taylor Hall? How can you be an MVP two years ago, three years ago, and then he got hurt? And before he got traded, he had two goals. 
eight millions a year. If Echo and Hall do not produce, what do you expect for the rest of the team? It's a killer. Kills a coach, kills the manager, kills everybody else because you can't can't get rid of the players. So it's always a fine line. Hey, Rick, it's always a fine line. But you can see the difference now that he's gone to Boston. He's playing maybe with some better players, guys that are more uh, into it and, and want to play the game, and he's producing. And so there's a big difference. I mean, in Buffalo, I think Buffalo needs an overall uh, character change, I guess, maybe their, their, their organization. Uh, they need to change the culture there. And, uh, you know, because I think they got too many guys that are good players. But as you said, they don't have the passion to go out every day and play the game the ways that they can play it. They just, some days it's like, oh, I don't feel like it today. I'm just going to take it easy, unfortunately. And I think that's one of the problems in Buffalo right now. A big culture change, I think, is needed there. Now, Marcel, I'd like to, Marcel, I'd like to go back to Team Canada. Um, we, we touched on it. We walked through a little bit. But you represented Canada a number of times internationally. You were part of the famous 72 team, which we'll touch on that. Now, I'm going to give you full disclosure here because I normally don't do this, but I actually had one of your 72 Team Canada sweaters in my collection, and it is now in the Museum of History in Ottawa, so your legacy will live forever, okay? So there you have it. Now, <laughs> um, when, you went to, when you went to the camp, you talked about the team being overconfident, so we got all of that, and we knew how the players reacted. We know what happened, and they were a little bit cocky and all those type of things. You didn't play. Now, three guys came home and you went to Russia and you didn't play. You stayed. So two questions. Why did you stay? And number two, did you feel the players respected you for staying and being a part of it, even though you just practiced? Ah, it's, it's a little bit of baloney. I'll tell you this. I'm a straight shooter. Uh, the concept, it needed players to practice. That's why there was a lineup like that. You could not bring all the best players knowing that, you know, whatever, like that's what happened with Sinden. So, well, everybody's going to play a game. And the hype was absolutely incredible. I mean, the problems we have in America now with racism and all that stuff, well, we live that. Until we went to, to Russia, we lived that. We said, communism, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I don't want to jump, but I just want to tell you one thing. Sure. It, for me, hockey was all irrelevant. I was watching all my idols. They were phenomenal with me. Rod Gilbert, Cunway, the French guys, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe. Nah, Kenny Dryden doesn't say too much. <laughs> he was writing a book. Uh, Gary Bergman played his Gary Berman plays his best hockey ever. G.P. Parisi. I mean, Pat Stapleton, yeah, yeah. Bill White combination. I mean, and a lot of guys became Hall of Famers. But there's another team that was pretty good there. Those guys were as good. And for me, the fact that my career, I never won a Stanley Cup, those situations where my playoffs 
the games I didn't play at a, then I would play at a high level. But that Russia series, and I'll be very short, and it's going to tell you on this. The greatest thing I saw, I was on the bus, and Bobby Orr came along. Bobby couldn't play. And Phil Esposito said to Bobby, there was kids all around the bus, and all the soldiers were there, man. They got their, their guns. They're already there. And we brought a lot of sweet, they chocolate, gum, and all. They didn't have that in those days. So. And here's what I learned. I never forgot that. It's got nothing to do with anything else. Phil said, Bobby, ready? Let's go out there. They both got out at the bus, and they went there to those kids giving stuff, and the kids would drop, and then soldiers stepping on these kids' hands. You, are you kidding me? On their hands. So he became like, is this it? Is, is this what it's all about? I mean, then he became not a game. He became about a system, mm-hmm. a free country against communism. It was, it was a joke. We were told, oh, these guys don't drink, they don't smoke. They're, they're just an incredible athlete. I said, oh, yeah, they didn't smoke, and they drink a lot of that vodka. So, <laughs> so for me, to be with all these guys, and here's what it is. I went by all of them and scoring. To me, I don't deserve that. I, I just, how can I have 160 more goals than Guy Lafleur? How can I have three more hundred points in Guy? Does that mean give me a Savard? Give me a Robinson? Give me a, a point? I think he would have scored six season, 50 goals. You got those guys. You played with Borgie, right? Solomon? Yeah. Makes a difference. Yeah. One guy that makes, makes a big, big difference. difference. But these guys yeah. were so, they were competitive. They were cup winners. They knew how it takes to win. When I went back, I went back in 76, and I walked and I was in Los Angeles. 72 was the same. It's just like it was slow motion. It, the, the game was slow motion for me, it was a joke. That's how it can happen. Just and that's that's where you're in that zone. People don't understand it. Uh, you know, you play basketball. How can you make that? It's going in. And, I was in that zone. And then you, when you start losing that, you say, "Whoa, what's happening?" That doesn't matter how much you practice. Ain't <laughs> <and> coming back. <laughs> but I played with these guys, and they were so good to me. And the reason the guys left, punch him like. Was not an easy guy, yeah. And he kept on calling those guys to get home. Punch didn't care anything. He was under Harold Ballard's system, right? <laughs> and it didn't take much for the guys to leave. But they asked Harry Sindon, this is a true story. If it was okay for them to leave. And don't forget Vic Hatfield. Vic Hatfield was a different story. He was he played some games. He was a veteran with Jean Rattel and Rod Gilbert. That was not acceptable. But the other three, what are you going to do? It was enough enough players. When they got off the plane in Newfoundland, or I think Labrador, I don't know where it is, somewhere, they got hit. And this affected Gilbert Pro forever. 
never got over that. And Harry said it at 87 years old. They had an interview that biggest mistake he made. It was that he promised everybody they would at least play one game. I didn't really care after that. When I was there, and I was, I'm lucky, I uh, brought my girlfriend. Rick, it's the same girlfriend. I'm still with her. <laughs> <laughs> so there was nothing else to do. Guys were sleeping all day. You're not playing. What do you do? Well, you got to go and see the castles, the church, and, and all that stuff. And she, she, for her, the greatest, greatest thing it was that the Montreal women, and most of the players, and, and Rick can tell you this, they all know my wife's first name. I can't believe it. She's that kind of woman, right? So Russia has not made for her. We went back, I went back five times. And uh, it was, uh, and I got to know a lot of these Russian players. Uh, we are very, very lucky, very fortunate to live in Canada and have the type of freedom we have. Well, let me ask you this, Marcel. 72 you play, you guys win. It turns out to be the greatest hockey series probably in, in hockey history. I think everybody would agree on that. 76, you play with Siller McDonald, first Canada Cup. You guys win. You're on the ice. They score the winning goal. Now, I'm sure you probably asked when they called back in 76, am I going to play this time first off, okay, before we go any further? But secondly, when you did win, the emotions that you felt – what was the difference between, I know you played in the one and you won, but the difference between 72 and 76 emotionally for you? Well, we understood the concept better than the one in 72. You remember this four games uh, in Canada and four games in, uh, in Russia. This was a little bit different because 76 was uh, countries, different teams. But there's one thing I can tell you about 72. It's that we were in trouble. And we went to uh, Sweden, played two exhibition games. I played one. Then all the wives came in, you know, for the rest of the trip and all that stuff. And I saw a change for me to the team. And it's hard to believe that we should have won the four games. We lost the first one. We were leading. Mm -hmm. All six, five, six, five, six. And they came down to 30 seconds. Can you imagine we're going back home losing how much it meant to Canada? A lot of us, maybe a lot of us, our careers, most of the U.S. guys go back. They can't hide, right? We can't hide, but the Canadians don't. So that's how much it was. So 76... I was very fortunate to be on the ice for the last goal. That was Scotty. Scotty, if it's not going anywhere, then he puts you with anybody. Just, sometimes you like to be scheduled, right? But <laughs> boom, boom, boom. But I played with Bobby Hall. And my right winger was Danny Gare. Danny got hurt. And Phil was not the player that he, he was in 72. He was, he was our best player. So now it was difficult for him to... Uh, I remember where I was wearing a black jersey with Bobby. Danny Gary got hurt, and Phil's got the black jersey. So it's the black aces, right, Mike? It is what the, the great Phyllis was leading goes. Bobby would say a word. He says, okay, if I don't make it with you two guys, they're going to send me home. I'm going, what? 
say that? So now I play with Bobby. I said, Bobby, I know you skate all over the ice. You come on my side, I'm going on your side. Get out of the way. I played against him in the NHL. You talk about a shot. You talk about a strong skater. It was a highlight. I mean, those are the type of things, right? And uh, But different concept. And after that, the Team Canada's, the, the gold, uh, the, uh, the world, and it, it's, it's unbelievable, So right? But it's always nice to be on the winning side. And either one, we lost. We beat them on Wednesday. They beat us on Sunday. It's unfair. It's one game. Everybody was mad. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the drawing board. <laughs> well, Marcel, we want to thank you for being with us for so long. We just got a couple more minutes to go through with you. So now a couple of things here. Now, I don't know if you uh, realize or not, if you we'll bring back this memory. Rick and I were talking about it before. Uh, but when you were in L.A., you were famous for making one of the first music videos ever. Now, Alan Thick wrote a song called Forgive My Misconduct, and I think your two wingers, Charlie Simmer and Taylor, David Taylor, you guys did a little music video. Tell us about that. Well, it's funny. I, 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 saw, a, uh, I saw a friend of mine that passed away. His wife sent me the stuff, and it's, it's, it was during the All-Star game. And uh, Alan Thick, uh, one of his sons has uh, juvenile diabetes. They, they wanted to raise money. And they say, let's go ahead with this. And then in the meantime, what we did during the summer, he called us with uh, Valerie Harper. Uh, she was a great hockey fan. And we did uh, a, a thing called Forgive My Misconduct, right? I'm a great singer. I just like, uh, uh, I tried, but, uh, you know, it was not that big. <laughs> and Phil, and then the other guys in New York, Alan Thick passed away two years ago when I was in. Uh, I went to see, uh, see him at the casino. He was 68, 69 years old. And he said to me, he said, uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm still playing hockey with my son and all that stuff. I said to him, I said, Alan, hockey is different than other sports. It's a burst of speed. Your heart is a muscle. You got to take your time. And uh, the Kings came back in town two months later. I was there. I went on to uh, do a, a little a clip on the radio, went back. They came and got me and just told me that Alan passed away playing hockey. Well, he ended up doing what he wanted to do. One of the nicest person I ever met and very talented and very good to the players. He was really good for Wayne Gretzky going there. Yeah. He brought a lot of stars over there, but this guy was very talented. So, we did that, and uh, from that point on, everybody thinks you're a real singer, right? But it, we went on the gong show <laughs> one time, and we started to sing, and within 10 seconds, we got the gong. I said, you're kidding me. We have to put the whole gear on, you know? <laughs> this, this well, do you remember? Uh, well, I, oh, I remember ahead. seeing that. I remember <laughs> the bell-bottom pants and the... the <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. It, it was... It was so great. I mean, uh, at the time when you guys did that, it was kind of, you know, I mean, a lot of people thought it was funny, but, you know, I thought it was something that, you know, you guys were doing for charity, and I thought it was great. It was awesome. Yeah, hey, now, Marcel. The thing is, there is a human side of it, right? We yeah. were exposed to a lot of stars, and I never 
fell for it, a lot of them, a lot of them. I mean, uh, they were just wonderful. A lot of Canadians, they come to the, to the game, and they're human beings too. But when they get in that crowd, it's not the same thing. You got to remember this. They are worldwide renowned. Little Beaver walks in, nobody knows, <laughs> you know. I walk in with Eric Lindros, they all look at Eric, and he says, holy jeez, who's that guy, that little guy? Well, 731 goals and uh, 1,771 points. Never had a concussion. Got to be lucky. Hey, now, speaking of which, lucky, I was told by Bob Morgan, who you remember from L.A., the producer. I was speaking to him yesterday, trying to find a couple stories on you. And he said, actually, you have an eye for talent. He said that when he went to visit you in Drummondville in 1986, you told him about a young singer in Quebec, by I think her name is Celine Dion. And then she became a star. You said, watch for her. So you told that story. Well, when uh, my young brother won the Stanley Cup uh, in Montreal, she was in the dressing room. That was the voice of Celine Dion. That was a, well, you want to know what it's like a, to be a champion? Her husband was a real amateur, uh, I mean, a, a great fan of, uh, of the game. And I played golf a couple of times with him. And I was a big time gambler, but a nice man, philanthropist and so on. So there we go. You all meet each other. And he says, well, we're just all the same. You know, just the, the quicker you make the adjustment, uh, because you got to remember, a lot of these actors, actresses, like, they don't do too much. You know, just say they, they live a big game. I got a couple of guys that are, uh, uh, managers, and it's a different, different, different. I'm very thankful I got that same girl that I took to Russia. She knew right. what it's like to be poor. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she said to me, Rick knows that. He said, uh, let's get married. I, that's enough. I want to have kids that come from a big family. She said, okay, no problem. She says, okay, you're going to marry me? We're going to get married? She says, yes. Yeah. She says, one condition. What do you mean one condition? She says, very simple. You make the money. I will spend it. She's done a pretty good job. <laughs> now, Marcel, for all your accomplishments, and there, you have a very, very impressive resume, are there any or one that stands out that you're especially proud of? Pretty tough to pick, but if you, know you what? did. It is very, very simple. It, it's my uncle that took me to the arena at the age of eight years old. It was not my dad. My dad worked. I was born in front of a schoolyard. I was not allowed to play. I just told you all these rules. I broke all the rules. <laughs> if he, he just passed away. And if he doesn't take me there, who knows? Somewhere along the line, you got to have a little break. My, the Sawyer, they were the family. They were all athletes. I watched them. And they, they, I learned baseball. I played every sports with them. And, uh, but I was the pride. They couldn't go to a higher level. And I went back for years to sponsor a, a golf tournament there to bring back all these seniors. Seniors. Huh? Senior hockey before the expansion. That was tough. It was a senior American League. And that's it. There's only six teams. Then the expansion, then they've got a shortage of players. All my heroes, my guys won the Allen Cup that year. And uh, three of them went to uh, play uh, in St. Louis, different places, but they played in the NHL. So for me, it was a compact thing. 
And I said that athletes got to go back and listen to those stories. I don't care what you have accomplished. How did you, what happens? It's the thing that triggered all you. Don Perry against the Edmonton's famous comeback, losing 5-0. There we go again. What's this? And I'm sure Rick's got some. We were in the dressing room before the first game, and we had battles with Edmonton. We never knew how many goals. It was going to be a lot of goals. It was wide open, right? Bernie Nichols loved that, wide open. So <laughs> he goes like this, Rick. He goes, Dave Lewis, how tall are you? 6'3", 210, 215. Jerry Korob, 6'4". Rick, Rick Chartra, 6'2", 6'2". Charlie Silver, 6'3". GP Kelly, 220. We went around the room, but he was close to me, but he jumped me, kept on talking. <laughs> and here's what he said. What are you afraid of? They can't beat us with their fists. We know that. Let's go out there and play. That was simple. Play out there the best we can. We know who's the guy. It's Wayne. And they have, what's this? When he said that, you forgot there's Paul. There's Yari Curry, there's Mark Ritchie, <laughs> Dan Anderson, there's Ricky Grant Fuhrer. I said, did you forget anybody? <laughs> we beat them. But it was the three out of five. We beat them. And we were down five nothing and came back and beat them uh, six five. Daryl Evans. Yeah. What a shot. But you know, when, you're in broadcasting, anybody or Rick, there's a moment, there's something like sometimes you're talking about you're with a bunch of guys. And there's a quiet guy that just said something that blows everybody away. He says, whoa, I got it. And that was awesome. Squid, any final thought? No, I'm just uh, glad to have you on, Marcel, and uh, an unbelievable career. And, uh, uh, I mean, what, what can I say? I mean, here's what the deal is. Sixth in points. Sixth in goals and sixth in assists. So right. that's pretty right. damn good. We have, you got to tell Mike, we have our gig together when we uh, travel and be Oh, in yeah. Place. And I'm always going to, he says, Rick Vive. And I said, Yeah, Rick. I said, uh, <laughs> uh, I said, What, two two years of uh, 50 goals, right? And Rick always come back really quick and says, I had three. I had three. <laughs> and you know what? And Marcel turns Rick, around Rick. and he says, I had six. And I said, but how many cups do you have? The same as me, zero. <laughs> so it's fun, Mike. You yes. Put on a good show. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the danger with social media, I was asked to uh, say something. Uh, yes, please about do. Jack Eckle and, uh, and Buffalo. And I watch him. I, I watch a lot of games. I only watch him. I only watch him. I have my definition of him and so on. And I said, when the uh, Buffalo News asked me, I said, I cannot do it. I says, I had my time, and now it's their time. Because if I say what's really right and very constructive criticism, there's a lot of people that are just going to give it to me. You're jealous because you don't make the money he's making, and he has yeah. nothing to do with that. You just see a player like that to excel. Just excel. And then when you excel, you just what happened to the Bills. 
how long have we been waiting for having a quarterback? And suddenly, thank you very much. You don't have a quarterback. You do not win. So you got to have that guy, that one guy. And then Ray Bork said that a long time ago. He said, you need a goalie, one defenseman, and one center. Now you build around that team. Thank you, guys. That's great. Marcel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Rick. We'll see you on the golf course. We'll see you guys. You bet. Well, Squid, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, talk about the Energizer Bunny. Is there, <laughs> he is just he is just the greatest. Well, he's uh he's a pretty very animated individual. There's no yep. question about that. He speaks his mind. Yep. He doesn't hold back when he has something to oh god uh, no point he wants to make, he certainly doesn't hold back. And I you know, I admire him for that because I mean, like you said, like he's He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he had a heck of a career. And I think a lot of people probably look at him now and go, how, how did he ever do that in the National Hockey League? Well, he didn't have to be big uh, as long as you had the heart and, and the skill, which he did. And that's the one thing he the one thing that came through loud and clear from him was no matter what was going on around him and the word, the overused word today, adversity, all that stuff centering around and striking around him. He went in there, and the number one thing is he's a hockey player. He did his job, and that's all he ever focused yeah. on. And you, it came through loud and clear, and that to me, yeah, very, very honorable. Yeah, very, very loud and clear. And uh, you know, I, I love the fact that that he's like that. I mean, uh, you know, I think it was I, I was very similar in a way. I mean, uh, there were times where I said things maybe I shouldn't have said, but by and large, I was kind of the same way. Where it's like. Yeah, whatever. I, I'm here to play hockey. I can't deal with, yeah. you know, all the bullshit that's going on around us. Uh, I got to go out and do my job. And, and uh, you know, there was times where I did speak my mind and sometimes went over okay. Sometimes it didn't go over very well. But when it came to getting on the ice, it was like, okay, nothing else matters now. Everything is out there. It's, it's uh, uh, the door shut and I'm in my, my special place where I got to do my job. Well, you can see, and, and the thing too is out in the West Coast, out of sight, out of mind, basically. So people never really knew how good those guys really were. And I wanted to get into that with him a bit, but he addressed it when he went to New York and said his team's in LA, man, oh man. He realized then playing in the East side, how good his teams really were and just the lack of travel and our, the traveling issues and all that just weighed on them and where they were playing because they certainly had the talent if you listen to the players that went through there. Well, there's no question. And I think he, he, you know, that's a good point that he made because I think if you look at the Rangers and the Islanders and Philly and the teams around there, like, I mean, they spend more nights in their, their beds at home, probably about the same amount as uh, say the LA Kings would spend on the road. <laughs> Yeah. So can, you can imagine what, what that would be like being on the road and staying, sleeping in hotels that many nights. What a difference that would make. Well, you know, the funny part about it is because when I did my excursion with the Leafs, uh, followed them for seasons, 85 days I was away. And I didn't stay any extra time or any of that. I basically did the route that they would do or you guys would do as a player. So it was 85 days away from home over that six, seven month period. So think about that. Yeah. That's coming from the East side. 
Imagine coming from the other side, going this way towards us. You could almost double that. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I remember when I was in Vancouver for a short period of time, I mean, we had 14, 15, 16 day road trips, uh, you know, that were very, very difficult. I mean, you know, flying all the way across the country and then, and then going here, coming back, like we would, you know, centralize in Toronto or Montreal, and then we would charter to a city and then come back there and go here, come back, go there, come back maybe play our last game in Toronto or Montreal and then head home. And, uh, but it would take you, you know, by the time you got home, it would take you two or three days to recover from, from the time changes and, you know, being on the road that long, it would take you a little bit of time to recover. Yeah. So, I mean, you can just imagine like the, the, but you know, their body's getting beat up playing on that West coast coming back East all the time. So all those things, but you know, it's a little bit different now the way the divisional structures have gone. But anyway, we uh, come to that point in time in the show where we have to bid farewell. Another great uh, guest today with Marcelli. We could have talked to him for hours. He just loaded with stories (laughs) and he just, he's so animated and he's so funny and he's so direct and he and he's bang on in his observations boy i'll tell you it's not too much he he get misses too much about what's going on in the game anyway folks you can find us at squid the ultimate leafs fan find us online look up our personal websites at the ultimate leafs fan or rick five uh we'll be coming at you next week with another guest we're looking for a new twist in the show we hope to be able to bring you next week so watch for that anyway everyone have a good time and Let's get, hopefully get the Leafs, get a couple wins in the playoffs we'll be, we'll be talking about next week. Till then, everyone have a great next seven days.